Plot twists. We're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover. And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms. And we're from now. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. Fran, I, I like to think that we stay on trend. We try our best. We try. Since Wordle seems to be taking over the world at the moment, I thought maybe we could have a little bit of a game. Mm-hmm. World. Only one vowel in that, though. I don't know how well I do from the offset. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a six-letter word. Now, I know it's used typically five, but I thought maybe we just, you know, humour me and try and guess what it might be. I'm going to instantaneously rack my brain and say it's divine. Fran. I mean... <laughs> The audience I, love a tee-up. They want me to build things up. They've fed this back. I spent the last series calling you out on this and mocking you for it. But you know what? If it's not broke, don't fix it. <laughs> we can carry on with it. I'll try my hardest to play along where I can. Well, divine by name, divine by nature. Adam Devine is our guest this week. He is a brilliant, brilliant comedy actor. And he's going to be talking to us about his new series of The Righteous Gemstones. But before we go into that, Fran, can we just talk about Bumper and Pitch Perfect? Yeah, Pitch Perfect is one of the films that I put on probably most weekends, to be honest, and watch on repeat. And I think Bumper is just the funnest character. He's got Sassy. this, like, inflated self-confidence that he shouldn't have. And brilliantly for us, and for Bumper, uh, he's returning in a new series uh, on Peacock of Pitch Perfect where Bumper's trying to extend his career in music in Germany. As you do. As you do. Um, but you also may know him from the Comedy Central series Workaholics. That was sort of his big uh, comedy break with his friend Blake Anderson. He was brilliant. Oh, I loved Andy in Modern Family. How nice was he? Another very lovable character. Very lovable character. We really liked him. Um, but of course, The Righteous Gemstones is what he's here to talk to us about. His new series with Danny McBride and Edith Patterson. No strangers to us. As I was say, I'm going to pause you right there because I'm sure all of the listeners tuning into this episode will have been with us from the start. Absolutely. And actually, we had Danny McBride and Edie Patterson on our second ever episode of Plot Twist and they play the other two siblings in The Righteous Gemstones. So we're just, you know, tying up loose ends with our third and final sibling. Completed it, mate. Um, the televangelists are back. And I love this whole concept. It's obviously a really funny comedy, but televangelists just fascinate me. They, mm. There is this whole juxtaposition, to quote you, Frank. So Try, that that word. Word. Try that on Wordle. Try that on Wordle. Seriously, <laughs> that, that must that'd be like top score, surely. Uh, but there is this juxtaposition between this sort of holy and religious front and what you see versus what goes on behind the scenes mm. with... There's lots of money, there's lots of crime, there's lots of chaos. Corruptness. Um, so if you like series like Eastbound and Down or Vice Principals, both available on now, typical Danny McBride sort of humour, you will love this series. Yeah, so as you probably can tell, we love the characters that Adam Devine has played. So we were absolutely over the moon that really we got were. to speak to him in person. Uh, so let's kick it off. This is Adam Devine on Plot Twist. Adam Devine, it's befitting to have you on today because our first ever recording a plot twist was with your co-stars Danny and Edie and they were very nice about you so you know to have you on today is they're great is... actors they know how to spin a story because we hate <laughs> each other uh just as people 
<laughs> great actors, but I don't like them as human beings. Uh, no, they're great. Yeah, I, I, I'm loving doing the show with them. They're phenomenal. I feel like it's one of those shows that you can watch, but you can tell that even though you can't see behind the scenes, that you guys are just loving it. You're just having a great time. Looks like really good fun. Well, Danny has been on my, like, he's like a comedy god to me. So, you know, there's a handful of guys that I've, like, sort of looked up to uh, my whole career and even before I even had what you would call a career. Uh, you know, going to commercial auditions and not getting them, I wouldn't call that a career quite yet. So that's, that's when I first was like, oh, Danny's so dang funny. And then when I actually got the call to be part of the show and that he wanted me and, and he was the one that uh, seeked me out was sort of blew my mind. And then Edie, who I only really knew from Vice Principals, I knew she was so damn funny, and she's she's uh, more than proved that she is a powerhouse herself. Off the cuff, who's on your Mount Rushmore of comedy? Ooh. For me, it it is Danny, Bill Murray, Sandler, Chris Rock, Eddie Murphy. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty good going. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying I'm in the same category as them. <laughs> if, that, oh, that's, well, if that's yeah. the Mount Rushmore, I'm like the guy in the parking lot handing out flyers, going like, for $5, hey, I'll still- take a photo with, with you in front of the Mount Rushmore. Hey, you're still in the same vicinity, so you know what? It, it, it's take all the that. same, right? I'm in the park. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, dude, you're, you're smashing it at the moment. I mean, you've got all these projects coming up. You've got... Pitch Perfect, the series of Peacock coming up. You've got Workaholics, the movie. You've even got a day named after you. Yeah, it's pretty good going. Yeah, it's not too bad. I've, I've been able to trick enough people into thinking I'm talented. So success so far. Oh, please. I have to ask, after the Pitch Perfect series was announced, people love Bumper. Was there a massive fan reaction to that? Yeah, yeah. No, people are so excited for it. And I love doing that character. I like playing these dumb dummies <laughs> these dumb dummies you know, i like playing these guys that uh sort of have this bravado to them and this unearned confidence much like most of the names that i just named like will ferrell's like the king of that playing a guy that has all this unearned confidence who's really a kind of a buffoon and that was sort of how i played bumper initially but it'll be fun to sort of take what people know about that character and turn it on its head and and play it di- a little differently and sort of ease people into the the new older more wrinklier bumper. Yeah, I was going to say because we we've seen that he's trying to make his make his way in Germany, is it? His the next path of his singing career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it was I mean David Hasselhoff was sort of the template for that where where he was like weirdly very popular in Germany and people in Urker were like that guy uh the Baywatch guy and he sings okay and so the the basic premise of the show is that I have like one song that weirdly is a success in Germany and uh, they think it means something that I didn't think it meant so like it has some like resonance uh over there They're like oh my god you're really speaking out and I'm like totally yeah no and that's how I planned it wing it yes that is what I meant to do um, so yeah, that'll be, that'll be fun to do. I, I, I shoot that in, uh, Germany and then I'm shooting a movie right now with, um, called the outlaws, uh, with Pierce Brosnan and Ellen Barkin, Nina Dobriv, Michael Rooker. And that's a super fun movie too, where I am a bank manager and I'm getting married. I've never met my 
future in-laws. They finally come into town. It's I, they're getting married like a week later and they take me out. They're the coolest people I've ever met. And then the next day in the work, I'm like all hung over. And the people that work for me are like, oh my God, it was that bad meeting the in-laws that you had to get blackout drunk. And I was like, no, it's actually that great. Like they, they partied with me. I feel like I'm finally on the like cool kids table at high school and then click, click, there's a gun to my head and two people are robbing my bank. And then basically the second half of the second act is me trying to figure out, was it my future in-laws that are Ooh. outlaws? What's it? What's it like working with somebody like Pierce Brosnan? Because presumably you like grew up watching him as Bond and like these big characters, and obviously other people, even like Danny, that you've you know really appreciated, and you get to be on the set with them. What What's that whole experience like? Uh, well, you you know you just you hope they aren't assholes, and I've been really lucky. <laughs> that, um, everyone I've worked, with, I've never really ran into like a true piece of shit, which is way great. Good, good news. I know. I feel, I truly feel like the more successful people get, the less they have to be shitty about. Yeah. Like Pierce is just a fantastic guy, like a genuinely good, good guy. And Danny's amazing. So um, I feel like the more successful you get, the the kind of cooler you because what are you what do you have to take the edge off it's the coming up that people are little maniacs because they're like i don't know if i'm gonna make it so i have to be rude so um I, i've looked out and working with some really nice people oh that's, that's good, good to hear too. good yeah. to hear well we've got loads of questions about the righteous gemstones but before we do we need to ask our first plot twist question so we talk about plot twists being unexpected things that happen where something takes a turn in a story that we didn't see coming in your life today, what would you say your biggest plot twist moment has been? Plot twist. Plot twist. <laughs> you guys have a cool sound effect. I feel like everyone likes to say it like that, like plot twist, and someone needs to drop a mic. You know, I don't know. For me, I mean, I've talked about it before, but I uh, I was hit by a cement truck when I was a kid, and I couldn't walk for about two years, and I had to relearn how to walk, which is really, you know, Turns out pretty hard to do. I don't know how babies figure it out so damn quickly. Um, and it, uh, yeah, so for, for me, it was like right at that age when I was, I think I was 11. Yeah, I was 11, 11 mm -hmm. to like 13-ish. I was really just in a wheelchair basically that whole time. It, that's right that age where you start figuring out who you were as a person. And I basically was alone for most of that time or like really isolated or, and so I like, I really had to, uh, for me, it was, I watched so many movies. I want to say I read a book, didn't. I only watched <laughs> movies. <laughs> you could have told us you did, we would have believed you. I could have lied, but I won't do that to you guys. I, I watched so many movies and, and I think it really sort of made me who I am and, and watched so much comedy and I watched a lot of stand up and, and really kind of solidified, uh, who I was at that age without any outside interference. Well, that's uh, partly why I mentioned to Danny and Edie uh, about you, because I was just so taken back and inspired by your story, because you, like you say, I suppose from 11, and that's at an age as well where it's really difficult, isn't it? Because you, you know, you mm. can remember so much and you're not young enough where things kind of get a bit blurred, but being at school, obviously then it was quite difficult and you were, I think you were getting bullied, but then you started to use comedy as your angle to kind of almost fight back. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like I was like the su like super put upon kid that everybody was making fun of. I mean, I think 
Because, I mean, let's face it, I was pretty cool. No. Um, <laughs> I think that, that is the age where no one is meaner in the world than a middle school. Mm-hmm. Someone that's like 11, 12 years old. You are your meanest self at that age, no matter who you are. And so, like, if you are already kind of an asshole, you're a super asshole when you're 12 years old. So I got, I got, I got some of that. And then I, I learned really early on. I was always kind of a funny kid. My family is really funny, and I just learned that you can diffuse a situation by injecting comedy into it. Mm. And it, it, let's face the facts: I had a lot of downtime. I wasn't. Uh, girls were not talking to me. They're not. They're not trying to date the kid in the wheelchair. They're trying to date the star football player quarterback yeah yeah so uh so i had a lot of time to like say i would i would write down this is psychopathic but i would write down like possible mean things people would say to me and then retorts like funny things that i could say as as like a slam back <laughs> but to it, it's disarming isn't it comedy because you know they expect you to react and get upset like what do you do when someone comes back with something hilarious i kind of learned that early on and i've i've sort of taken that that with me that uh it's better to be funny and nice than uh, a rude shit. Mm. Does that make you <laughs> write that down, kids? <laughs> yeah, take notes. Take notes. <laughs> Adam, does that make you sort of almost fearless, though? Because they say the age at which it happened and growing up in a well in, said, you know, Tom. Yes, I am a fearless individual. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm. I'm still obviously. I can get nervous and fearful about different things, but uh, I think it did. It, it was sort of my coat of armor that I got to put on uh, from having the accident and just knowing that I'd put in the work. I've watched enough comedy that and really like worked on it. I like re- legitimately have notebooks of jokes I was writing and, and bits and things that I think are funny and like just attitudes that I th- thought were funny that I would write. So uh, I I, th- I th- thought I was pretty prepared to handle middle school. And then that sort of carried on to the rest of my life as, as best as I can. What were the first sort of experiences for you with comedy in terms of actually forging a career? Uh, it, was, it was right around that time. I, I think I was 13 when I started to call into the radio station in Omaha, Nebraska. And I would do different characters and different impressions. And I would call in every day after school. And so, like, I'd be at school... <laughs> Uh, not really doing a lot of homework uh, and just sort of like planning bits that I was going to do, but I would always talk to them in character. And so it became like kind of a little bit of a popular thing locally, you know, in Omaha, Nebraska of my different characters that I was doing for the afternoon drive time hour. And (laughs) they actually asked me, they were like, Hey, come to the studio. We'll put you on salary. Like you can just do this for us. That's amazing. Like and do a bunch of different characters. I'm like, Oh my God, the, my, my dream has come true. I'm going to be a radio guy. Or, you know, and, and uh, my mom took me down there in our minivan, put me in my wheelchair, wheeled me into the radio station. And th- first of all, didn't know I was a child because I only talked to them in character. And then they didn't know I was a crippled child. So they're like, well, <laughs> we can't hire a crippled kid to be on the radio. Uh, he, he's not even old enough to bag groceries yet. So they were like, which was even cooler. They said that they would give me as m- many concert tickets for their concerts that they would, you know, because they do concert promotions through the radio as I could handle and all the CDs that I, I wanted. It was a while ago. It was pre uh, MP3s. And so um, <laughs> you're pretty buzzing about that. But it was it was pretty cool to uh, that also helped with uh, not getting picked on is people would be like, look at this, the crippled kid. And I'm like, 
do you want to go see the Foo Fighters? <laughs> I got tickets. Better be nice to me. Although you spoke there about not giving your job um, in a grocery store, but didn't your love for TV and film, weren't you once an extra in the back of a Jack Nicholson movie and you were trying to get in shot, but that really sparked your, I'm going to be in film? That was a year or two later. I ended up getting a job uh, at the grocery store and they were shooting about Schmidt in Omaha and they were shooting at my grocery store that I worked at. So I knew the manager was like, knew that I, he wants to be an actor, <laughs> let him stock shelves in the, in the background of the shot. And they were looking for like real local kids to play the extras. So I'm like stacking yogurt in the back of the shot and Jack Nixon comes and I think he grabs like eggs or milk or something in the foreground. And, but I keep angling myself out, <laughs> like arching my body in a way that you would absolutely <laughs> never stack shells, like fully like hanging way out here. And uh, I remember they called cut. The assistant director was like, okay, so for uh, any extras, uh, just know that this isn't Jack Nicholson. There is uh, no cameras here. You're just stacking shells. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm the only one stacking shells. I'm the, I'm the guy that's stacking shells. And, and they're like, so, okay, so action. And then I start to do it again. And they right away, they're like, hey, cut. We're actually going to have you stack shells over here. And I think they saw the talent that lies within. I'm probably going to get a scene with Nicholson himself, a <laughs> spinoff movie about this, uh, this, you know, kid that works at the grocery store. But no, they literally, they're like, I'm stacking shells over here. And then I realized that the cameras aren't even pointing this direction. Now I'm just doing work. Now I'm just literally stacking the shelves. Plot twist, you weren't in a new plot of the movie. Yeah. Did you have any kind of interaction with Jack? No, no, none at all. I still haven't. He's like one of the, I, I, I love him so much. And I've got to work with like super famous actors who I absolutely love. Like I, I did a movie called The Intern with Robert De Niro. I love that movie. And, uh, but yeah, Nicholson is, is probably my favorite actor of all time. I just think he's just so damn cool uh, that I, I saw him once at a basketball game and I think I just sort of like whisper yelled like, love you, Jack. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm sure he didn't even respond. Maybe at a Lakers game, you might catch him. Yeah, that's, um, that's where it was, I think. <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about Gemstones then. It's back, the second series in the UK. Now, I mean, I love this series and it sees you, John Goodman, Danny McBride and Edie Patterson, sort of the group, the family who are televangelists and they're rich, they're powerful. And like many televangelists in real life, they're not short of controversy. <laughs> um, what, what particular stories from real life have sort of made their way into the show? Because it fascinates me how these guys, I mean, we're talking like 50 million pound jets. We're talking machines that count money. It's a bonkers lifestyle. Yeah, I think that's what uh, is so cool, the opulence of this, of these people that are supposed to be like religious figures wearing like $5,000 tennis shoes. <laughs> and they have their own private amusement park. And obviously they're spending their, 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 their questionable spending habits on this non-taxed money. So uh, it, it's, it's super fun to play. As far as things that are, are like pulled from the headlines, th actually, it almost like worked backwards where season one, Edie's character ha was stashing away money and we needed a bunch of cash. And she's like, I know where to get it. And we go into the church and hidden mm. with an event. She takes out, I, I forget the number, like 50 grand or 100 grand or something. We take out all this cash and 
just this past week, Joel Osteen's church, uh, he has like a mega church here in America. They, they just found $600,000 in cash in the wall of the church. Wow. I was reading about that. I was actually looking on Twitter and I was like, looking at Righteous Gemstones, like, I wonder if there's a hype about the new series. And it was flooded with gemstones in real life. Like, people were obsessed with that story and linking it back to Righteous Gemstones. I, I mean, I wish the show was coming out this week because it would have been, like, the perfect... What a time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, similarities between us and um, some of these megachurch... Uh... I'm really enjoying Kelvin's storyline in this. I just have to give a big shout-out to the God Squad and read you <laughs> one of my favourite quotes, I think, from Gemstones or potentially ever, which is, we lift, we pray, and we're mindful of our diets. I just thought, <laughs> nowhere else I don't, I, in a show do I think you would hear that sentence. And, I mean, truer words have never been spoken. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, gosh, that, that was such a fun uh, storyline for me to play. You know, I like playing those, like, oafish idiots and uh the storyline is basically i run a group called the god squad where we do like power lifting exercises and wear a lot of gold spandex yeah and we work out in my front yard of my house and i make them sleep in yurts and a lot of baby (laughs) oil is used i was like i don't even know if there's this much baby oil on the east coast of america we might have had to flown some in uh (laughs) the amount of baby oil that was used but it, it sure was a fun uh, storyline to play one thing that did make me laugh was uh john goodman i mean he's he's wonderful isn't he but well, he plays uh eli gemstone the father of the family and he's he's starting to date a little bit he's starting to get out there you know and he's mm. doing a little bit of manscaping and he uh and he catches himself <laughs> uh, you might see where this is going but are, are you do you i never thought i'd ask this but do you manscape is that something that is uh uh i have so much hair you can't see it <laughs> You weren't inspired by the show. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real hair suit down there. Uh, no, yeah, I, I, I do a little trim. I do a little up, upkeep. I've yet to cut off my nutsack like it seemed like John did in the in the episode, the amount of blood that, that came out of that poor man. I also feel like I don't know if John has ever done is a scene like that either, which is kind of fun to watch him uh, do a scene where he has to shave his balls. I was going to say, did you think going into series two that you'd be having a fight with John Goodman? That came as a little bit of a surprise. I I mean, I, I, I loved that storyline where this season, I have a lot of issues with my father, a lot of unresolved issues and all that kind of bubbles to a head uh, this season. And, and we actually get in a, a physical fight and he may or may not break my thumbs um so (laughs) i didn't see this season going that way but my god was i excited when i got that script initially that's bucket list territory isn't it john goodman broke my thumbs in this series it was (laughs) i know well they had a really interesting dynamic in the first series but it feels like in this series they're really testing eli as the character and and like you say that like dynamic between the children and how far can they push him and it turns out he has got he has got a breaking point quite literally literally but I think we were about to start shooting season two and then the pandemic hit and literally we were there in Charleston, South Carolina, where we shoot the show. And I was about to go to my first day of work and they called like as I'm getting ready and they were like, hey, turns out this thing called coronavirus. And I'm like, doesn't sound real. Uh, and <laughs> turns out it was. And they were like, 
it, you know, it'll probably blow over. We're thinking we'll get back to work in about three weeks, cut to a year later. Um, and we finally got to go back to work, which, you know, luckily, thank God. But Danny used all that time to make this second season even better. A lot of rewrites and punch-ups and, and he, he crushed it. He used that time wisely. And I think as far as I love the first season, but I think season two is actually even a stronger season than the first oh. season because he had so much time to to do it exactly how he wanted to do it. And I'm I'm really excited for people to to see it. I hope people catch on because having that downtime, that like year and a half between seasons, especially after only having one season of the show come out, I feel like it, it could get lost in the sauce a little bit. And I hope people uh, find it because we sure do love making it. Oh, the writing brilliant. is, we loved it. yeah, yeah, so good. The right, you can just the writing is just impeccable. It's brilliant. Um, mm. But before we talk about um, plot twist person in your life, I was interested just because televangelists in general fascinate me, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to slate your fellow Americans, but um, <laughs> why is it there? There is this fascination with televangelists and people that despite all the controversy, still gravitate towards them. It's, it's mm. such, in the UK, you just, you don't get anything like that. It's such an interesting concept. I, you know, we like big, dumb things here in America. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like monster truck rallies, huge. Uh, I, I think it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I think we like a spectacle. And admittedly, I grew up Catholic. So like our church was pretty boring. It was just like, when I was a kid, half of it was in Latin. I had no idea what the hell was going on. It was just me, you know, kneeling a lot and standing a lot. And uh, but then I had friends that would go to these nothing like the gemstones, but like they'd go to like a big Christian church that was just non-denominational. And you go there and there's like a thousand people there, rock climbing walls. And there, there's like a little bit of a, a pyrotechnics when they're coming out. And it's just, it just seemed like it's more fun. So I'm assuming that's why people, if you can choose between going to a pretty snooze-tacular church or there's a, there's a, a rock and roll band up there. They might have a guy doing some freestyle raps. I don't know. <laughs> it just seems like a more fun thing. So I think that it's the spectacle that gets Americans just all riled up to pray. Well, I think that's why we love the series even more. Like we say, it's so so to contrast of like anything that we have over here. So we we just loved it. But we, before we close, we have to ask a final plot twist question. So we talked about plot twists in your life, but we like to ask about a plot twist person. So has there been anyone unexpected in your life, your career, that's influenced you that people might be surprised to know about? Well, I would be an idiot to not mention my new wife, Chloe Bridges. We just got married to about two months ago now. And congratulations. After two years of being engaged because of the pandemic, we finally were able to do it right before I started this movie that I'm on right now. But yeah, it was one of those things that I didn't, you know, I'm so focused on, you know, career stuff and trying to get this thing going that I never really stopped to think about like a relationship and getting married. And then I just met her and it was it was just kind of that thing where it just clicked and, and made sense right away. And then as far as career goes, it's meeting the guys, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, and Kyle Nuacek, who I created Workaholics with, which was a popular show here in America. And uh, we did seven seasons together and we wrote the show. You know, we directed it, produced it. Kyle did most of the directing. Um, but 
we did everything. And that was like our first real job. And to get thrown in the deep end like that, where we were running the writer's room at during the day and then at night reading books on how to write for television. So it was a real steep learning curve that I think if I wouldn't have met those guys, I met Blake and Kyle Nuacek day one of community college in Orange County, California, an improv class. And then we went on to actually build something pretty, pretty great together. So that, that mm. was my plot twist as far as a career goes. That's a pretty good one. I like that. Just before, uh, just as, as, as we close, um, obviously Gemstones is going to be coming to the UK series two in February. Have, have you spent much time in the UK? Is that something that you'd like to do more of? I'm hoping I get to spend some time there when I come to Berlin to shoot the uh, bumper show, to shoot the Pitch Perfect spinoff show. Uh, and I hope I, I get to spend some time to bounce around the UK a little bit because I hate to admit it, I've, I've, I've never gone. I always thought I was Ooh. been offered a few times for like press stuff. I was like, well, I want someone to pay for me to go over there. <laughs> and uh, it, it just has ne never happened. I've been offered for press stuff, but then I have other work commitments here that I wasn't able to go. But I love people from there and I like the culture and I want to go to, uh, you know, one of those many pubs and go to a soccer game and oh, yeah. check it all out because it seems like so much damn fun. So I'm, I'm hoping to do that this next year is to finally uh, to pop my UK cherry. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a saying, right? Is that a saying? It is now. now. It is now. Yeah. yeah. Well, dude, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Good luck with the new Thank series. You. Good luck with um, all the all the work in Germany. Fran will get a credit card out, pay for you to come over to the UK, and we'll, we'll catch <laughs> up again Absolutely. then. Absolutely. Give me a call. We'll sort it out. <laughs> Thanks Thank so, much. so much. Guys. Thank you. Massive, massive thank you to Adam Devine. Plot twist. Plot twist. I feel like, can we reasonably use that everywhere in every interview? Every possible opportunity. <laughs> we can use that to break up the interview from one segment to the other. <laughs> throw it in mid-sentence. Yeah. Plot twist. Yeah, Adam Devine. We just need more of that. Thanks very much for that. We'll be stealing it and moving forward. Um, we also need to make sure that Adam's people... Clear as diary. Calling all airways possible. Yeah, we need to get that man over to the UK. We are being deprived. Yeah, clearly the man needs to pop his UK cherry. I know. Uh, <laughs> Another brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I love he was like, is that a saying? And we were like, uh, don't know, but it is now. Yeah. And we knew, I think we guessed and we, well, even from the interview with Danny McBride and Edie Patterson, that his plot twist story would be quite inspirational. Mm. Um, obviously, he talks about being hit by a truck as a child, and it really was quite an ordeal, but he really had something in him to, you know, push back and actually make something of the situation. And uh, the whole story in itself, I just thought was really inspiring. And it, and it also kind of did lead to his career in comedy. Mm, and it's interesting because I think when these big moments happened in people's lives, health or otherwise, it always is a bit of a defining point because people either use it as a catalyst to move forward for good or they can become quite consumed by it and it can really hold them back. But he clearly had a natural affinity to comedy and comic timing, like hearing him talk about dialing into the radio station oh, yeah. to the point where they offered him a job. He was a kid. He walked up and they're like, 
oh, hold on, we can't legally employ you, but we think you're great either way. Yeah, he clearly, I think um, at some point he would have found his way, wouldn't he? He just had these, just naturally mm. got those funny bones. And the Righteous Gemstone series two is available on now. And at the time of the interview, there was a story in about a televangelist who had hundreds of thousands of pounds stashed in the wall, as you do. I know, because you do watch the series and think, this is hilarious and brilliant, but it's outright insane. Mm. And then you see on the news, actual stories that parallel it's, the plot. It, it does happen. And it blows your mind slightly. I think that's what makes it so intriguing. Mm. Although the God Squad, which uh, <laughs> Kelvin uh, leads, I'm not sure how true to life that is, but he is uh, parading around with some very muscular men in a lot of oil. I think there's a human um, pyramid at one point. Yeah, I think we'll move on from that. But The Righteous Gemstones is a great series and you can stream weekly on now. So huge thank you again, to Adam Devine. He was everything we expected and, uh, and much, much more. He was charming. He was funny. And speaking of, we'll just keep him coming because next episode, we have got the lovable John Bradley who plays Samuel Tarly in Game of Thrones. One of my favourite characters of all time. And John has got some new films out, actually, Marry Me and Moonfall. So we're going to chat to him about that and his own plot twist. Pretty exciting. So we'll leave you to that one and see you soon. Mm-hmm.